You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I'm your host, Rob O'Sell. I'm an architect at this.labs. And today, we are extremely excited to be talking about the state of Angular in 2022 with one of our good friends, Mark Thompson, or some of you might know him from Twitter, Mark Texan. He's a developer relations engineer for Angular at Google. Mark, how are you doing today? I am so excited. Thank you for that like wonderful energy coming into the podcast. Let's go. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we are excited to dive into all the exciting parts of Angular, both past and present. But before we do that, first, we're going to hear from today's sponsor. And today's sponsor is Harmon. The Harmon Ignite Store Developers Portal is a developer hub dedicated to the Android automotive uh, developer community. The portal provides developers the toolkits and APIs they need to create apps that influence the future of in-vehicle experience. Check them out via HTTPS ignitedevelopers.harmon.com. All right, Mark, and we are back to talk about Angular. Um, you know, for those of us that are using Angular, it has been an exciting couple of years. Uh, certainly a lot of major developments, a lot of things that have been flowing. I think it's very impressive, first of all, for the team that y'all have set this goal of having at least these two releases each year and you stick to it. For anybody that has released software, it is knows how difficult it is to stick to a stated cadence like that. So how is the team feeling coming out of 2021 and some of the things that you guys accomplished last year? Last year was huge for the team. And just to talk about the release cadence, that's something that I think people initially under undervalued, like in the community, they just kind of undervalued why we do this. But for us, this really helps us to commit to stay committed to our goals to continue to improve Angular. And that's one of our big goals is always to continue to improve because, you know, we had a, a time period where it was people questioned, like, do you all hear us when we ask you for things and when we say we really need updates and features? Is the Angular team listening? And we are listening and continuing to release major releases and minor releases uh, each year just helps us to show that we are we are listening and we're making progress and we're really excited about Angular. I agree. What was impressive to me, so Mark, for anybody that isn't familiar, released a blog on the Angular blog that looked back at 2021 and looked ahead to 2022. And I was somewhat surprised to hear that in version 12, version 13 last year, 16 projects from the roadmap were actually released. That is a lot of velocity through the roadmap. Um, and I think you know some of these things people might not even appreciate, uh, the new guides, um, improving a lot of the load time performance, uh, releasing Angular dev tools. Uh, and Ivy becoming officially Angular's only rendering engine um, as well. So are there any other major accomplishments that maybe snuck past people in 2021 or that you think that maybe people didn't fully appreciate as it was flowing across their timelines? So I love syntax. And that's a big thing for me. So when you're programming, I love when the tooling feels like it's working with you versus against you. So we had some updates. Uh, I think that was in version 12 that came out uh, last year in 2021 that just made things so much smoother uh, with some of the syntax. I'm trying to remember which exact version it was, but yeah, we just released stuff like a uh, nudge coalescing and templates and things like that. That's a big one. That's such a big one. <laughs> right. And it seems so small because it wasn't about the runtime. It wasn't about speed, but the ergonomics improved. And I just love that. And it, it actually opened up some syntax that you couldn't do otherwise without really string together some like complicated ors and yeah just it just a bunch of stuff so if you get optional chaining plus plus uh knowledge coalescing like that just really made life a lot easier for developers and i feel like that's my favorite thing that we released in 2021 if i'm going to be honest it's honestly some of my favorite parts of additions to javascript in the last many years uh because how many bugs have all of us solved over the years by doing those things in their long forms, by forgetting one of the nulls or checking too far down into the chain and then the null showed up earlier and you missed it in that one edge case. So having those things in the language not only reduces those errors, but it cuts down the amount of writing we have to do, which is makes all of our code a little bit more readable, a little bit more maintainable. 
um, and certainly gives us less crap in our PRs when the when someone else comes in and <laughs> takes a look at what we're putting together. That's right. That's right. And I can just tell you, just as an engineer from my whole career, you know how many times the falsy problems with JavaScript have gotten me like in the butt a couple of times. Just like, oh yeah, zero is false, even though I really care that it's. I want the value of zero, right? Little things like that seem trivial. But when you have big enough systems, those type of things fall through the cracks and then you end up with runtime errors that you didn't expect. Absolutely. Now, one of the things which is kind of interesting is that for for a while in the Angular community, we had this big thing to rally around and get excited about. It was Ivy. It was always on the horizon. It was always coming. And it finally arrived. And it, it was worth the wait. It's been great. But you know, it's what's interesting to me is that you know, this happened in the React community as well. Hooks was this big feature that was coming down the pipe. Then it came and everyone was like, well, what could follow this up? And then they immediately jumped into the appropriately named suspense. And now people are waiting for suspense and the community just sort of waits. Vue went through this with Vue 3, waiting for Vue 3 to land. You know, to some extent, how does the team feel about maybe not having another ivy-like thing on the roadmap that just sort of keeps everyone locked in is it is it important to you guys to have that to not have that will it just occur when it occurs like has, has the team really thought about um the effect of of those types of things yeah so the wait for ivy like you said is a long time coming and people were waiting on the edge of their seats and now it's out i think for the team here's a, how we feel and i can't speak for everyone's you know mindset specifically but just in general the things that are unlocked because of Ivy, there's this really huge level of excitement. So if you were to ever be a fly on the wall in one of our team meetings, when we when we you know envision what's next for Angular, what are some of the ways that we can evolve Angular, so many of the things that View Engine blocked are no longer a big deal for us. And then we're like, oh yeah. So for example, we have some uh, advanced diagnostics coming up uh, with the language service, right? That is totally enabled by Ivy, right? Just the, the compiler being able to, to, to check your templates and give you feedback, stuff like that. That's enabled by Ivy. So That's now good. we can think about, well, what else, you know, all these dreams we've had for Angular. And because here's the other thing, think about something with a big API surface like Angular. And then you have to think about when you make changes, how many mission critical applications could you possibly be breaking? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And so with having to support View Engine and Ivy for so long, it was really hard to, to to split our development efforts to make sure that things were backwards compatible. Now we're not thinking about that anymore. Now we're just able to think full steam ahead. No longer supporting IE 11. Polyfill's gone. Not having to figure out what we need to add in. Right. So it's just if it feels like this wide open road that we get to, to define our own journey moving forward and all the things that we can do. And we're just thinking of them. We're just thinking of like, oh yeah, what else can we do to, to help improve, you know, the experience for Angular developers? What other features can we change? What other tickets that have been open for so long that people have been asking for, can we just roll into a future release, right? All those types of questions get to get asked and now answered as time goes forward. Honestly, you know, it's it's great that you phrased it that way because that's the energy I feel from the Angular community, at least the section of it that I see in the channels that I monitor on Twitter, Discord, and things like that. I feel like the community is in a place right now, um, again, unlike just waiting for a feature to drop, that everyone feels in this mode of collaboration. I see so many threads that are like, if Angular had X, what would you want it to be like? If if it was, you know, if if we wanted to completely rethink data management, how would you want the primitives to look like? Or if we were going to rethink reactivity, what would you want that to look like? And it's been fun to see that kind of creativity from the community. And I'm sure the team appreciates that when they're coming up with their ideas for future projects or RFCs or, you know, uh, roadmap ideas. Can we talk about RFCs real quick and the <laughs> magic of RFCs? Just because you brought it up, and I don't want to like derail our conversation, but the community sharing their feedback. I mean, what other project can you think of where an RFC goes out and we hear from, from the community and we hear their technical expertise and then they actually 
incorporate that and use that as part of the decision making. Not a lot of projects do that, but we do with these with this RFC process. And it has only made things for the better because the, inevitably when you have such a large user base of developers for your product, you're going to miss some edge cases. But now people are starting to speak up and say, hey, what about us? What about this thing? Right? When we talked about removing IE11, the deprecation of Angular JS, for example, all these things. What about us? Now we can hear those voices and we have a constructive way to capture that information and big, big emphasis on constructive, right? The criticism is still fine because it's constructive, because it helps us see from a different point of view. So I love that we have the RFC process and that we're going through it and really leveraging the value that's created by it. I appreciate that as well. You know, and that actually was going to be my next question, which is that there is, again, somewhat unique uh, amongst major projects is the roadmap. And not just a roadmap, but a maintained roadmap. <laughs> uh, and mm -hmm. so I was wondering if you could kind of walk the listeners through kind of how that works. So you can include the RFC part of this as well. Like how are things on the roadmap sourced? Where do they come from? What, what, what do they have to do to get to the level to make it onto the roadmap? And maybe how do those turn into RFCs or does the RFC process come first? Could you kind of walk through how that process works? Sure, sure. And I'll leave out some details just because, you know, some details may not be uh, relevant to everyone or pertinent to our conversation, but we have prioritization meetings. Prioritization, did I say that right? Maybe. We have those meetings where we, where we prioritize the issues that are either in the GitHub, we look at long, long-standing things, some short-term things. So it's, it's not only, okay, well, let's look at something that's been open for four years on GitHub, like a feature request. We may look at those, but we also look at our team proposals because we all propose things. Like I have a proposal that I wrote that I'm hoping, I can't share it just yet because if it doesn't come out, then I'll be like deflated. Like, oh no, they reject my proposal. Mark promises. Right, right. I think it's a good proposal, but it may not fit into the roadmap where we're going, right? But we look at proposals from the team proposals from the community. So we look at all these things and then we try to decide, well, what's going to best serve our customers, right? Like our Angular developers, Angular developers, right? How are we going to best serve those folks? And then we prioritize with the leads, you know, the Angular team leads and then our leadership of the team. And then we try to put things, you know, on that roadmap and think about, you know, can we deliver this? Is it, I mean, because there are some passion projects that will probably be that will probably be great to do, but they may not serve enough people to make it valuable for the time spent on that on that effort on that effort. So we have to think about those types of things as well. But like, think about the roadmap from this point of view. Like, here's one feature that's coming out that people have been asking for for a long time, and that's uh, strongly typed forms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People have wanted that, and there have been workarounds. There have been libraries to do this type of stuff. <laughs> Yep. And like now we're like, yeah, no, we got this. This is, yeah, that's coming out. We're going to officially support it. RFC went out to do that. And then that made it to the roadmap. And then it's getting executed on. The roadmap has to stay in, in a certain state such that we don't over promise and under deliver. Yeah. Right. So we always have to think about, are we promising another Ivy, for example, with this feature where the law, whether the time spent could just dis disillusion and disenfranchise our, our community. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We want people to know that we're working the, as hard as we can. We're collaborating with the community because the community contributes to Angular. And yeah, we literally love those types of contributions. So there's just a lot that goes into maintaining the roadmap. But our leadership, I will say this with confidence, our leadership cares about this roadmap and we're always looking at i'm not on, on the leadership but i'm saying from a team point of view mm -hmm. uh they're always looking at the roadmap saying hey let, let's make sure this is up to date let's make sure that we're communicating with the community and that we're moving this thing forward so there are the roadmap is interesting because it has two sections the in progress and the future sections and sure i guess again just for people that go and follow that roadmap and they see one of their favorite uh, uh pet projects themselves or something that was maybe um, causing them some grief on their project. And they see it either in one of those two sections. Does the roadmap represent 
a commitment to deliver in a certain time frame? Is it just ideas that have been vetted by the team to be picked up at some future date? How should people understand time frames? I know you guys don't can't make commitments because software development is hard and you need to leave room for things to be ready when they're ready. But uh, how do you guys again? How should how should the community interpret maybe the the how soon something that's in the in progress or how soon something in the future might come up or appear in a release? Great question. So in progress does not always mean hand to keyboard implementation. So that's the first thing I would encourage people to think about is that if you see in progress, it could be us coming up with design documentation at this point, or just having the conversations in meetings, dedicated meetings to say, okay, let's think about this next week. So let's, for example, I'm going to look at the roadmap right now and I won't give you like a, a hard answer, but let's, let's see if we go to the roadmap and just see what happens because thinking about the roadmap, I, I could look at a project and say, yeah, maybe we're in design meetings. Maybe we're in application development time for this, but the delivery time that we just can't commit because we don't know what we don't know yet. And whenever you're doing new development, you know, that there's just, you're an architect, you know, this, you come up with a great idea. The implementation can seem very straightforward in your mind. Like you're having your coffee, like, oh yeah, we could totally do that. Just have to do this, that, and the other. And then you get into implementation time. And what do you find? There were some unknowns that hadn't, you had to consider. And then you might even have to abandon something because like, yeah, it's just not feasible based on constraints, whatever those constraints are. Hey, I, I, my famous favorite story about this is that I tell people about the one time I was asked to alphabetize a list and I told them, I found out that it was going to take six months to implement <laughs> <laughs> just because See? of where the data was stored and how difficult it was to aggregate it. Seemingly the simplest feature on earth, uh, became actually impossibly difficult without a bunch of additional architecture. So Yes, exactly. Right. Software, no matter how simple it can seem, uh, software will always find a way to surprise you. So that's right. It will surprise you. I remember when I was building uh, some apps before and I thought that I could do the whole thing in a month. <laughs> and then I ended up spending four years on, you know, to implement my original vision. Now, now you might just say because that's because, well, Mark, you're just not a good engineer. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I don't really know. Maybe. Maybe, but, or it could be the reality of, of engineering and just how that goes. I feel like there needs to be a, a, a way to uh, accept people's challenges when that comes out. Because I feel as developers, we say that an awful lot about other software. Oh, how hard can it be? You just keep mm -hmm. a list of those things. You do it. I could get it done in a weekend. I'm a gamer as well, and uh, you hear that all the time. Oh, how hard could it be to add that feature to that game? I could probably, yeah. I'm a developer. I could pound it down in one night. <laughs> I just, I wish there was a way for people that maintain those projects to be like, come on in, give it a shot, show the rest of us. <laughs> That's right. And and listen, I'm not going to gaslight every the, the people out there who actually know all the details and actually know what the effort is, right? Like there are some people who, so just related to this this one thing about the angular community that is hilarious to me in the best way possible i've never seen a project where people read the github and the pull requests so fervently right it was just it's just amazing because i'll see people write like uh brandon just wrote uh a blog post about a feature that that's coming out you know with the uh we just did a pr for titles for routes Right. Yeah. So there's I was just reading that. Blog, yeah. He just wrote this blog post and I'm like, I didn't even write the blog post yet. My guy, like <laughs> I didn't even get around to writing this yet because I thought I had time. But the community is so passionate that y'all are out here like reading the GitHub and getting involved in our GitHub like PRs. And I'm just like, yeah, OK, there's no secrets with Angular. Like everything is very public because we can't, you know, we, we don't we get got, to do we got we got beat writers. Yeah. In the Man, Angular community, we got beat wild. writers. Yeah, that's right. No, that's those beat writers. Exactly right. Well, you know, it's funny too, because we are talking about the community and I, I, I thought about saving this for later, but one of the things that I loved in your blog post that you called out as well is, is again, recognition, which I, I know the Angular community and the Angular team loves, is, is recognizing the community for landing some of the features, uh, both mm -hmm. from the roadmap and elsewhere. I mean, that is that mm -hmm. is the other great part of the community is that as and, and as a team, that things are structured in a way that people that are passionate about Angular can roll up their sleeves uh, 
take something uh, on the list of, of things from the roadmap and, and help bring it to fruition uh, to really make a difference in their own projects' lives. And then, of course, share that with others. So I don't know. Is there anything that you can talk to about any, any interesting stories of, of people contributing uh, that you can remember? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I have any interesting stories about like contributions specifically, uh, co-contributions, but I do think is what's really interesting is the number of ways you can contribute to Angular. Mm. And I think that people, and I was a person like this before I became, you know, so Angular is an open source project. So technically that's my job is to work on open source as a developer relations engineer. So I've only worked on like private enterprise applications as a software engineer for years. So, you know, I thought the only way to improve Angular when I used to work Angular JS code, for example, was to open a PR. But that's it. That's so intimidating to think about like opening the PR on any public thing because you're probably you're thinking to yourself like my code. It's going to get ripped to shreds. These are the geniuses at Google who are going to like look at it. <laughs> exactly. And for people yeah. at home, they didn't see the air quotes, like the geniuses in air quotes, right? Like, you know, because that's what everybody thinks that it, like everybody who works here is, and we're all just mostly regular people who just work hard, right? Like, that's just mm -hmm. how that is. Um, that's a whole different conversation. But my point being is that with Angular, you can participate and contribute in so many ways. Uh, yes, you can write PRs and fix bugs or try to implement a new feature. But you know what else is valuable? When we give a code uh, sample in an RFC, you testing it out and telling us about the sharp edges or the lack of ergonomics around something, you have no idea the impact that has. Because again, we work on this stuff every single day. So it is easier for us to lose sight of what the developer representation is. Right, we don't represent the average developer as the project maintainers. So the people who are actually using it, your voice is incredibly valid. So contribute that way. You can also contribute by just commenting on RFCs or reporting bugs. So your part in the story is just great, right? Like everyone has a way that they contribute if they should choose, and it doesn't always have to be implementation. That's a great point. Yeah, uh, I really like that. So. As we look ahead now for a little bit to 2022 mm -hmm. and the things that are coming up, uh, again, the, the sort of roadmap leads to some really interesting places and things that are coming up. I think one of the ones that I'm certainly most excited with, and I think anybody that's done Angular for long enough is excited about, and that is this idea of standalone components or optional modules, however mm -hmm. you want to talk about the feature. There's a, a popular pattern uh, I sort of tragically called the scam pattern, the single component Angular oh, module. That name. <laughs> Unfortunately, it stuck. <laughs> but uh, the scam pattern became, you know, was increasing in popularity. I think at first, a number of people were pretty skeptical, but it really started to, to build up steam. And so it was very exciting to find out that a feature related to it or similar to it would, might be coming down the pipe. So do you want to kind of give people a little bit of a heads up if they're not familiar maybe with that pattern or what that feature might look like in the future? Sure. Standalone components is the talk of the town. People are so excited. And they've been asking for this. And when I say that, I mean the community has been asking for something like this for a while. And then that scam model, right? The single component uh, architecture I think it's angular module. module. Like yeah. Or oh, angular module. I knew it was something like that, right? So where you have a component and then you have your module, like all in like one file, right? Is that's the pattern It's all Basically, in one file. Yeah. It won't have anything else in it. You won't have multiple components in one module. You basically just have a single module right. per, per component. Yeah. And the idea though, is that that's going to help people and simplify the Angular architecture. That's why people like that. It gets simplify the Angular architecture. Here's what I'm really interested in. I'm interested in simplifying the mental model required to start with Angular. Like that's my, so my background is in software engineering. And right before coming to Google, I was working in education as a, I was a teaching at some universities. And then I was also working at ed uh, technology startup. So like, I'm really big into like helping people through teaching and learning. So, with 
modules being kind of notorious for being a challenge for people to understand like, well, if I have a module, why do I need a component? Even though we as experienced developers know those are not the same thing at all. But think about when you're coming into the story, right? You're coming in for the first time. You're like, well, a module sounds like a grouping of something, but isn't a component part of that group or is the component the group itself? You start to create these incorrect links between the, the terminology, which is our fault, right? Like that's just, that's the onus is on the product maintainers to help fix that problem, right? That's not on the learners. That's on the product maintainers, right? In the community, well, not even the community, just the product maintainers to do that. So standalone components is this, this idea that, well, you could bootstrap a component itself without needing a module to bootstrap it. And then the dependencies could be managed within that component. So it could, so then that leads the way to something that I'm going to say use with caution. This idea you can have a single file because people love this from React. They love that when you make a component in React, it's a function. All the dependencies are listed at the top of the function. And then you just have your return at the end with your template. All your business logic is in there. They love this pattern. I'm old school from like, I started off as a Java developer. So if you ever done any Java, you know, there's a lot of structure and architectural like patterns built into Java separations of concern inversion of control like you learn all these different things like early on so for me coming from java i'm like oh yeah this makes sense to have everything is separate right uh for me i was thinking like oh yeah the ng module is kind of like my spring configuration you know spring being that framework right and then i say what well, my dependencies are blah blah blah. so here's the re reason i'm saying all that because all of that is kind of required to understand how to do angular for you know for some people and we could just simplify that right okay so now you have a component that a component or pipe, or I think one other thing. So it's not only components. You can also do standalone pipes, right? Like uh, and directives. So this idea that they could bootstrap themselves and sp specify their own uh, dependencies in file, and then you could also technically put your style and your template in the same file. So then you have an actual single file component. Now, do I think you should do that for every case? No, I think. Some cases is going to make a lot of sense, but not for everything. So don't abuse this because you can create an anti-pattern if you go too far with the idea of a single file component. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad that this is a, a move that y'all are taking. And I'm glad that additionally, you haven't completely thrown the proverbial baby out with the bathwater in the sense mm -hmm. of completely removing the module system entirely. I think there are some really interesting things that you can do by overriding some of the, the modules and the dependency injection and playing with that system. Uh, we were doing some really interesting stuff recently uh, by overriding some providers to give different behaviors to shared code across different projects inside of a monorepo. Mm -hmm. And it, it was really mm -hmm. cool what the team was able to put together enabled by this dependency injection system and really not much else beyond it. So I'm glad that that didn't go away, but at the same time, it's really tough when you walk somebody into their first Angular project and they're like, there's so many files. And you're like, yeah, all these, don't sure. worry about it. Trust me, they're set up right for you by default. If you add something, do it through the CLI. If you don't do it through CLI, just remember you have to come in here and add it to this array and then mm -hmm. it'll work. And mm -hmm. um, and remembering what each of the different collections is inside of a module. And it's like, like you said, it's just a lot to get to the first thing that you want to do, which is the first DOM element you're going to put on the page. And in reducing that friction, I think, will be so huge for adoption, for people trying it out, for people learning it. Um, like you said, we can't abuse it, but uh, for some circumstances when it was it was really kind of getting in the way, I, I'm, very, I'm very excited for it. I think the community is extremely excited for it as well. And I'm gonna say something that will sound like I'm being paid to say it because I work for the team, which is not true. I actually see a lot of value in the module system because not having to think about where my dependencies are coming from, for example. That to me makes complete like sense, but I understand that this is not a bubble anymore, right? It's not a bubble where Angular is the only choice. There are other architecture, there are other frameworks with other architectural patterns that people are coming from. And so as adults, the way we learn is really interesting because like children are like an empty bowl. Whatever you say goes into that bowl. Right. But adults are more like a glass where you have like a coffee filter on top because everything that goes through is going to be filtered and compared against all of your previous experience. So if I told you as a grown adult, Rob, don't walk across the street on a red light, you'll say, 
True, but I have walked across the street during a red light because there were no cars coming. So you're going to add nuance. You're going to add all these conditional things to my statement. So if I say that the module system has a lot of value, you're going to say, but I've used React where they don't have modules and everything works like this. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. That is just how adults learn. So with that in mind, now we have to like think about what is the learning journey for Angular look like and how do we create that onboarding well-lit path for people when they come in. And I think standalone components is a part of that path because like you said, you said this, and I think this is perfect language, get you to the first thing, you know, rendering that first component on the screen as quickly and as frictionless as possible, even with the CLI, which I think is another incredible part of our tooling system, really huge value there. It still has shown us from feedback that that still isn't enough. Right. It still isn't enough to like remove the like mental barriers that may or the mental blocks that may come from needing to understand modules. Because I was like, oh, yeah, like you said, you create your first component, you just do ng new or oh, sorry, nggc, right? ng generate component and then like get on with your life. But people want to know more, right? Like they, they want to look behind the curtains and then like, wait, what is this module thing behind this curtain? And then off you go. It is funny too that sometimes complexity when it's out in the open can sometimes just be intimidating by itself. I remember the story from growing up that uh, my dad and I used to do some like light computer repair back when towers were the thing. I don't even know how many people still have tower computers that aren't like gamers and things like that. Everybody using the like phones zero. these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm dating myself now, right now with <laughs> remember tower computers. So what used to be the case is people would buy them, but not really know anything about what was inside of them. And so um, I remember helping a friend out and we opened it up and it was just caked in dust. All of it was caked in dust. And we, we said to them, we were like, how did this happen? And um, my, my friend's mother said, well, I was just afraid that if I touched it, it would break. Like I thought it was so mm. complex and so scary. I didn't want to go near it. And meanwhile, mm. you know, she was so shocked when she saw us, you know, rip the screws out, rip the side off, take things out, clean it, blow it out, all these things. And I think that, you know, can sometimes be what we're talking about with this friction is that even if that complexity isn't, even with using the CLI, right, that complexity isn't necessarily in their direct path, but it's close enough that sometimes it might give a sense of things being more complex or maybe more fragile or more intimidating than they have to be. So again, re removing that will just can only help uh, teams of all different types of experience levels. Totally agree. No, that's an excellent example. Rob, that was really, really like illuminating. <laughs> that was great. That's great. Thank you for that. Back in my days, so look it up uh, people back in the history books, uh, tower computers that they, they really were all the rage. Um, mm -hmm. So, Another thing, which, you know, honestly, I'm so surprised. I, I've been following this pattern for a little while now. I don't know why it's taken root in the Angular community specifically quite as strongly as it has, but it's micro front ends. The problem is, is we could spend an entire podcast just trying to define this term, but because mm -hmm. it is on the official roadmap now, an investigation of it, I should say, mm -hmm, I'm kind of curious mm -hmm. what part of it is appealing to the team and what kind of investigations are you doing and how might the community be a part of that if that's something that it's a pattern that they're maybe passionate about yeah 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 micro front ends that is uh, that's one of those things where i get it like why people want it i didn't foresee it myself as an engineer like like being a, a pattern that was going to be as popular like, like you said it's very popular and people uh manfred sayer sire is that how you say his name sire uh can't think how to say it. I don't, I'm sorry, Stier, Manfred, if you hear this. Stare. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, Sire. So Manfred is like huge on this, right? And he's been doing a tour on some of the implementation because he came up with a, his way of doing it right now. Like you can do this right now with the solution that he's come up with if you want to try it out. And, you know, think about Angular. So even though it is kind of like surprising to me, then if I like do a little bit of digging, I understand why this can be interesting for some of our, our clients and what well, clients is the wrong word. Customers is a better word for that. You know, just people who use Angular, right? So some of the teams. So if you think about these large scalable applications, and I think scale is such an important word when you think about Angular, because some people 
not everyone uses Angular the same way. Some people have small applications. Some people have like really, really large applications. And when you get to that scale, you're looking for all the ways that you can maximize the user experience when they come to your site, right? And a lot of that maximum, uh, a lot of that comes from having good performance. A lot of that user experience comes from good performance. And so this idea of deploying these smaller, less complex Angular apps inside of a bigger Angular app, right? That are just kind of independently deployable. That's an interesting scalable pattern because now think about scaling not only performance, but think about scaling your team. Because now you can have a team that's working. So if you take like an air, uh, airline, maybe the ticketing app is a micro front end. And then you have something completely different for, let's say, seating. And then something completely different for like internal people to use when they go to the website or customer service, right? Those apps can be deployed independently without disrupting the others. It's like some of the same value that you get out of load balancing where you can just have different services being able to do stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of really interesting patterns that will evolve from this pattern. And it's worth us looking into it, right? It's, it's worth us figuring out where should we be because if this becomes a, a big pattern that is really popular amongst all frameworks and the, and the industry, more importantly in the industry, well, we want to make sure that we know we know what's going on like the idea of just staying in the dark or covering our eyes because we don't you know necessarily like a pattern or we don't know about the pattern that's not what i'm saying we feel i'm just saying but just covering your eyes for whatever reason like oh this exists but i'm not going to look at it that's not going to help keep angular growing so it's worth it for us to at least investigate it and we are investigating because see this is one of the things that's in progress but that term investigate is so important because i mentioned this earlier that some of our work is literally just trying to learn more and do design explorations. Just find out more, like, is this possible? This might be something that we do roll in. Maybe it's not. We don't know yet. You know, it's interesting, too, because when I first heard about the pattern, I was like you. I wasn't sure why it was necessary. It was certainly intriguing to, to learn about. And I would recommend anybody that is unfamiliar with the term, there are some really great uh, videos and conference talks that have been given. Maybe we'll put some in the show notes if you just want to investigate it. It's certainly a very interesting pattern to hear explained. It came up for me organically as an organizational pattern, not uh, organizi organizing my code, but a, a, a corporate organizational pattern, which I think is interesting. Like it's a technical pattern to address an organizational issue, which was that several um, different teams control different parts of a larger user interface, different modules. They shared some libraries, they independently developed some libraries. And what in, almost inevitably tended to happen is that there would just sometimes be these hiccups where one of the teams wanted to go live, but their library that they shared with somebody else included code that somebody else hadn't yet approved to go live. And so there was like, oh, well now you have to go with our release. And then you just had these log jams of teams being gated by the same libraries that needed to go live and had to speed some people up and slow other people down. And suddenly I was like, wow, if all of these micro front ends were independently deployable, then we could release whenever we wanted to release. And so I see certainly on large um, companies and large organizations that are comprised of different development teams where this is very exciting. And so hopefully they will reach out to the team to share their use cases um, or, or at least their ch challenges that they have. And maybe that will spark some idea of what Angular can do. Because certainly with like the module systems we've been talking about and some of the different things that y'all have been working on, maybe that does create some unique opportunities for Angular here to address some of these challenges um, and enable this feature in ways that maybe some other libraries might struggle more to do. Sure, sure. And what you're saying about the release cycle and the log jams that feels very personal to me because i used to work i worked as a consultant for a huge healthcare uh, company blue cross blue shield of illinois um when i was uh, younger in my in my career and i remember just their release cycle if we didn't complete everything in a sprint like all of us right we'd have to wait for the next release cycle and i think about what that could have meant where when we had to deploy a separate application or a separate module of application, I guess, right? If we could have just deployed that part in with enough abstraction and isolation that it doesn't bleed over into the other parts, right? And cause drama. 
I just think about what that could have done and how that could have made life easier. So I can, like I said, now that we're talking about it, my brain is processing it against. <laughs> remember that filter I told you? I'm processing the journey I was on. against my against my experience. So yeah, totally makes sense now that you say it like that. That was the journey I was on. I, I find it to be one of the more fascinating architectural patterns I'm still not completely sold on, but I want to learn more about because I do think that it does solve some challenging organizational challenges. And I think it also introduces a really interesting conversation about when should technology be used to address organizational challenges and when should organizational challenges be addressed on their own without affecting technology. There's a, a law, right? One of these common laws that does say that all software inevitably ends up looking or matches the organizational structure or the communication structure of the organization that created it. So mm. uh, silly laws like this. And so it, it did make me start to think along those lines, which is to say, is this a good thing to be using technology to solve these challenges? Or is it, or is it a, a smell, like a bad pattern? And I, I don't think there's a universal answer there, but I just thought it's an interesting conversation to, to be having. Well, so I'm, I'm glad that the team's at least looking into it. So here's what I'm looking forward to hearing at some point, because I think it's going to come up. Micro front end overload or or flooding or something like that, where there are too many micro front ends in an application and becomes an anti-pattern. Because I'm sure that that's going to happen at some point. Just like when we have the conversation right now for architecture of when is it time to split an application into multiple applications? So that so that idea is going to be, oppo not opposed, but there's going to be some tension there between, well, should this be its own application or a micro front end and our bigger application and when will this flooding happen where it's too many microphone ends and then performance is taking a hit and you lose the benefit? So just like everything, we're going to find that there are there's a time for everything. Right. And then you're going to have to make a choice. There is no one right way forward. It's going to be based on your use case, based on your organization, based on your needs. Another thing that the people love about Angular is just that a it's opinionated. I mean, I guess that's how some people like to say it. Really more sure. more to say is that it's a complete solution. It's a platform that that has a lot of different tools for different purposes. And there are often solutions built in. The, the, the Angular CLI we've talked about, uh, Material, um, the Angular Material implementation, what was universal is sort of the, the server-side rendering components, parts of it as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the community has also, though, um, still likes having kind of one set of solutions, but maybe a lot of the community has sort of coalesced around other libraries. One of the really popular ones, NGRX. Of course, there's other ones like NX. The list could go on and on. A lot of really popular libraries that are used around a lot of Angular projects. My question is sort of interesting, which is to say, for a project that kind of likes to be opinionated and likes to kind of have a cohesive style, how does the team feel about their relationship with these projects? Is there ever a time that it would be considered to say, you know, because RX is somewhat core to Angular as well. Would there ever be a time to be like, you know, maybe NGRX should be more core to Angular or, you know, maybe we should look at finding ways to merge something like the Angular CLI and an NX tool or something like that. Like, is, is there conversation on that? Is there an, an opinion from the team on kind of how to approach what the community's opinions are maybe versus what are some of the ingrown solutions? Yes. So one thing about the Angular team is we're always listening and learning. We're always listening and learning. So we can look at what the community is doing in our frame, you know, uh, with our framework, right? So you talked about NGRX, there's R NGXS, there's just NX, there's all this type of stuff. So Akita and just all kinds of solutions for different things. There's translocal for translations and, you know, there's just a lot of great community effort. So we will always look and be aware of what's happening and try to learn from where those are successful. And then we have to make the decision of does it make sense for it to become a part of the framework? Or does it make sense for it to just continue to be a third party tool? Part of that we answer with our feature request. We answer this part. Because when you submit a feature request, let's say you were to submit, Angular needs a state uh, inbuilt state management system. We'll look at that and we'll evaluate it. We'll see if it fits with the roadmap long term, right? Not not only the things that you see here, but things that we haven't announced publicly yet. We'll see does that fit in. If it doesn't fit in, we'll still give the community some time to vote it up. You know, do an upvote. 
right? And then we'll look for that. And if the community is overwhelmingly positive, we'll review it again and say, okay, what did we miss? Right? What did we miss about this? What other new feedback? What other new ideas? What else is true? Right? We ask all those questions. And then if we feel like, okay, this does make sense. Okay. Then yeah, it, it, it does make sense to look at rolling it in and seeing what we can do. Or it just makes sense to say, yeah, this is actually better as a third party solution. And so that's our process now in, in general. And I think we could retroactively apply those processes to things like uh, NG. Oh, wait, NGRX. Is that the name of the uh, There's so yep. many. <laughs> I know. We just threw out a lot of acronyms really quickly. I was very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, but we, we, I think we can retroactively look at other projects and say, yeah, that makes sense. But for instance, t take Translocal, for example. That is a internationalization and localization library. They have a very different solution than we have which is to pre-build your locales, right? So it's, so for the people who haven't done this work yet, internationalization is this idea that you go through your app and you, re, you find all the places where you would want content that is local to a particular region or dialect. So you change tags out, numbers, dates, et cetera. So you internationalize your project and then you can localize that project, meaning you actually uh, output and do your translations. So we do it where you can do your initial application build and then we have the localized build. So if you have for like Spanish, French, and German, we do those, at, you know, like at build time. We don't do a real-time translation because think about this, instead of doing the real-time translation, um, you know, that's one, that's not how people use the internet. That's the first thing. Most people don't switch back and forth between languages. They usually let their browser decide because they have their browser set to let's say Russian and then they, We'll get the site in Russian. They'll get as many sites that are available in Russian. Rarely do they do, oh, let me go to English, let me go to French, and let me go to Spanish. All right. So the real-time translations, yeah, lets you do that. But the build improvements that we get from just doing the one build for three minutes and then five seconds for each locale, that's super fast versus doing the build for a full build for each locale. It could be like seven minutes. So then if you got five, yes, 35 minute build time versus one three minute build plus five times five seconds. So three minutes and 25 seconds. So think about that. So that's a different approach to the same problem. And for us, it makes more sense to have our internationalization library with localization versus rolling in Transloco as like, oh, let's just make this the official translation library. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, and I really appreciate that. I think it's good for people to hear that. Um, for the same types of people that ask for, you know, Angular, React, or Vue to be added to the the browser platform built in instead of having to, you know, download the libraries. I think it's good sometimes to hear what the trade-offs are for a library like Angular to have to pick those winners or pick which ones come in and why. And, you know, there's always going to be a portion of people that the model worked better in one of the other libraries. And so they lost something when it switched over. So... I think it's good for people to to hear that um, as well. So as we kind of are wrapping things up here, I wanted to look ahead to 2022 in the community. Uh, obviously, it's been a rough couple of years with the pandemic, kind of taking a hit mm -hmm. to, uh, to conferences, to local meetups. Um, but people have found ways to connect. Uh, Twitter, of course, remains a great way to connect with other Angular developers in the community. But of course, we've seen the rise of some really well-populated Discord servers, um, such as the Angular Community Discord, which at last I just checked is almost at 20,000 members um, and growing. And there are several more than just that one. Uh, so uh, kind of curious, like, what are the things that you're most excited about this year when it comes to the community? Or if there's any things that you want to just get people excited about or get them plugged in when it comes to you know, being more involved both with the team or with other Angular developers like themselves, uh, you know, for, for help and, and community and just sharing cool ideas. Yes, all of that. Okay, so one, I want to give a shout out to some of those populated communities that you're talking about who are really doing some great work to help. I love helpers. So that's my big thing is be a helper. I think Angular Nation is one of those great communities that, that is filled with helpers. So if you're new to Angular and you just need some people and you don't want to, you want to feel welcomed, maybe you're intimidated. Because one thing that's really interesting about Angular community in general, the experts are really visible, right? The experts are really visible. And with the visibility of the experts, a new person may not feel like there's a place for them, right? If you're new to Angular. 
because the experts are talking about stuff like, oh yeah, my host binding wasn't optimized for this thing. You're like, what? I don't even know what a, the host binding is. Angular is too complicated. So if you want a, a place for just a really, I like to call like a warm welcome, I think all of our communities are great, but Angular Nation really goes above and beyond in my mind for that. Uh, places to get con connected with the team. Listen, we're going to do lots more community engagement. Like we did an AMA this year for the first time on Twitter, where a bunch of the team members, we were all on Twitter saying, hey, ask us anything. And we were in there answering questions. There's a live stream that Jeremy and I do, which is great. And we do these monthly on Fridays. It's around the lunch hour. So you can spend some time with us and ask questions there. You can get to know people there. There are so many virtual communities. Uh, Eric Slack and the Angular Meetup is doing some really cool things. I mean, there's just a lot of people. And then there's the, the crew from NGConf, which another place where you can meet a lot of cool people. I mean, so if you want to meet people, there are lots of places to meet people. So get, get excited about that. Um, our yeah, I think our community engagement efforts are just going to continue to amplify in 2022. You're going to see a lot more of the team out there in public spaces, even if they're virtual. But you will only see myself and Minko and Emma. You know, like you'll see more people and we're going to get even more of the team members involved. So be excited about that. That's awesome. And I will just reiterate that. I mean, there are great communities all across the web development space, but the Angular community is one of the best. Um, it's always kind of been that way. I mean, there will always be issues here and there, but this is a place where you really can feel invited and so uh, and welcome. So please, if you if you are sort of sitting at the periphery and a little bit afraid to dive in or dip a toe in, because some of these organizations in these communities now are getting quite large, uh, please put yourself out there. Uh, they do a really good job of taking care of their members, um, enforcing uh, code of conducts and, and rules and things like that. So they're, they're just great places to meet other developers like yourself, absolutely. Completely agree. All right. Well, already that has been an hour, so we uh, will need to cut it off here. We could keep talking about Angular all day, Mark. I know. <laughs> we'll have to do this again soon. But uh, that is it for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web podcast on the state of Angular and things to look forward to in 2022. Of course, thank you to our guest, Mark. As always, we say the conversation does not stop here. You can find Mark on Twitter at MarkTexson. So that's M-A-R-K-T-E-C-H-S-O-N. You can find me online at RoboCell. So that's R-O-B-O-C-E-L-L. -L. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. As always, as always as well, thank you to our sponsor, Harmon. And we will see you all next time. Thank you, Mark. Bye-bye, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Cause we got a show for you